I'm Jaslyn Sabri, and you're listening to The Truth in This Art, hosted by Rob Lee. This is where creativity matters. Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and today I'm speaking with a sculptor living and working in Baltimore. Please welcome Sebastian Martirana. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going, Rob? Thanks for having me here. Uh, thanks for, for coming on or what have you. Um, this is a uh, time in the making. We got it. We're here. We, we're, we're both. Well, I'm not bearded anymore, but uh, I was bearded <laughs> earlier in this week. I'm clean right now, but we're both, you know, in different degrees of, of, of bald. So shout out to you. It's like we're different versions of the same guy. You're much more talented than me. So shout out to you. I, I don't have a podcast, so I'm pretty <laughs> <laughs> you score one for you. Some people say I shouldn't have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Best in Baltimore, cats and kittens. Uh, So I want to start off by, uh, again, thank you for coming on to the podcast and thank you for carving out that time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. could you could you share the uh, could you share like your story like in the in kind of the if it was a movie trailer, right? Could you share your story and describe your first experience making art? So the the elevator version, I guess, Um, basically. I'm an artist that works primarily in stone. That's my media. I've always been into art going back to honestly, this a little, little kid. You know, I was always that kid in class that could draw. Every class has that kid. I was that kid. I was the kid that could draw. Uh, and that kind of developed over time um, because I did much better basically in school. If they let me do drawing, I was intolerable. If I was not allowed to draw, I was like the worst child to be around if they weren't um, giving me something to keep my hands busy. So basically drawing over time developed into all the other media associated. So ultimately, I um, basically went from an undergrad program where I was an illustration major um, to studying for a time in Italy and deciding I wanted to pursue stone sculpture. And I just thought this is the thing that I want to figure out. And so I got a job at a stone company while I was still an undergrad. I was an apprentice. Um, I guess technically starting while I was still an undergrad student and then moving forward for about three or four years until um, I ultimately left the Stone Company. I came to Baltimore for graduate school in sculpture at MICA at the Reinhardt School of Sculpture. And so basically ever since that time, I partnered with Hillgarden Natural Stone, which is a the oldest continually operational stone fabrication company in the country um, right here in Baltimore. And so my studio is now basically part of their stone shop. So I'm effectively a freelancer. So I still think of myself as an illustrator. I just happen to be illustrating in stone, which is really what most stone sculptors that people are familiar with were doing. You know, everyone knows Michelangelo or Bernini. And those guys were illustrators. They were working for clients. They had deadlines. They were working within parameters. They had directives. And that's like a lot of what I do. And then I kind of have... Um, of course, my own sculptural art practice for the stone sculptures that are really self-directed. But I do a lot of work that's both institutional, so colleges, universities, ecclesiastical stuff. And then also, again, my own practice, which tend to be in museums and galleries and private collections, things like that. Wow. I'm still blown away. Hold on. So... (laughs) illustrator and okay not okay okay and because I, I love when when people describe their their work where it's like i do this i remember uh i did an interview with this artist named michael booker in dc and he was like i 
I make quilts, but I draw them. And he does kind of this very intricate drawing with pens and uh, like, 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 mostly with pens and in and, and colored uh, pencils but the the process is very much like he's threading that's how he does it and changing the way that you kind of look at it or even like like sb frazier uh I, I remember her describing like her practice in a way of like oh yeah i'm making i'm making quilts as well but um i'm drawing but i'm making quilts so almost the inverse of what michael mm-hmm. booker was doing so hearing someone describe something that seems like no you're you're sculpting you're doing something completely different like no i'm illustrating Right. That's really well, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, if you define illustrating as communicating some kind of idea visually, every artist is an illustrator, really. Um, but, you know, I'm just, I guess, comfortable putting that, that name on it. But that's what I feel like I'm doing most of the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, especially as a person that's trying to shift for me, uh, shift. Well, podcasts well, are art. You know, oh, they're just, you know, it's uh, no, it's art. I, I have an artistic approach to it. No, it's not. Right. Well, how are you shifting from, from what to what do you mean? From something um, else to the podcast? Well, shifting, I guess, the way that it's perceived where, mm. like, I think if you're doing it, if you're doing something, if you're doing a practice creatively, if you're, if you have a certain approach to it, a certain skill, time that's invested, like if I want to let's say a recording school or something that would be similar to art school in some regards mm-hmm. and the, how I'm applying that practice, how I'm doing it. Like, you know, I was touching on earlier. Some people may say I've been painting all day. I've been recording all day. Right. And there are a lot more similarities than people often give it credit for. It's like, is it journalism? Is it, you know, is it art? Where does it lie? And I think I like to look at it as art. Yeah. I mean, it certainly would be, I mean, really, you're like a, you're a communications director in a way. I mean, you're a creative, but dealing more or less with communications. You're like translating something from one place to another. You know, I don't have a conduit to talk about this stuff with people myself directly. You're facilitating that. Yeah, I'm going to put this in a grant application. So thank you, Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> so so early on, right? So initially, like doing the kind of like, you know, like, like, like drawing, illustrating, what have you, I... I had a similar thing when I was younger. Uh, I was in class and I was kind of like, I was was a decent student, if not good student, but I was kind of like, this test or quiz or what have you might like, take 30 minutes to do. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this in 10 because I want to draw the X-Men. And I used to get in trouble for doing that. And I was like yeah. selling artwork. And I remember a teacher came by and this was like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a relatively like big guy and I was a big kid. And I remember I looked at the teacher. I was like, yo, you just took my, my drawing, you threw my drawing away. I'm so upset Ooh. about that. And, but it was one of those things. So, you know, and always kind of having this creative approach and having this interest. So, Tell me about like when you kind of like, you know, really knew that you had that like kind of interest in, in working with stone and how similar is it to how your practice was or how your your, your process was in doing non-stone oriented work? Hmm. So like what are the similarities? Well, let's see, the similarities. You know, it's interesting. I mean, so, so the genesis of the interest in stone certainly does go back to when I was a kid because I was the, the kid that did that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, I have a family with these relatives and you know how it is. Like they, they find that you're interested in something, they latch onto that. So it's like for birthdays, I was getting like art books and pen sets and, you know, colored pencils and, you know, the, the tech literally like art texts, the greats from the Renaissance and stuff like that, you know, and I'm a little kid, I, I would, you know, I wanted Legos and, um, but <laughs> 
I wasn't going to get matchbox cars and things like that. Instead, I got all these art books. And so I did actually read them. Um, and I do recall that I thought at the time, the most impressive stuff was the stone sculpture, yeah. you know, because a child still has a fundamental understanding of what a rock is. You know, I know what rocks are. I played with them. I'd thrown them. I crushed them. In my dad's vice <laughs> in his workshop, you know, um, you know, stupid stuff. But I understood just, you know, from reading these things, like that's a rock and that looks like this and what? And so the idea of being able to transmute this incredibly mm -hmm. rigid material into this other thing that is so fluid and dynamic and looks so cool, I still could fundamentally, even as like, you know, probably eight or nine years old, understand that that was really, really cool. And so I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that thing. That looks the hardest. That must obviously be the coolest thing to do. So I want to figure that out. Um, and it wasn't until many years later I got the opportunity. Um, but I got the opportunity very early. I, I, I grew up in Virginia, um, which is not usually the sentence that precedes great things about public education. But Virginia had an amazing program called the Governor's School. So I was able to, as a high school student, go for free for a summer to a college um, to, to do art. That's it. Just oh, art wow. in various disciplines. You can do it in all kinds of things. But uh, you have to apply to it. It's like very competitive. And I, I lived in Northern Virginia. So it's, it was extremely competitive because you're competing within your own kind of County yeah. um, to make, you know, parity, make it fair for the entire state. So, um, but you can apply to this program and it's totally paid for. So I could go. And I was able to do stone carving for the first time at 16 years old. And a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Nice. So I was able to get a taste of this thing very early on. And I was always interested in it. So even that carried through into my undergrad where ultimately I, I didn't initially jive with the sculpture program at, I went to Syracuse university. Um, and so I basically took all my electives in sculpture and my major was in illustration. Um, and so I really liked the kind of process driven, directed, um, more or less, I guess, program that illustration provided Plus, it was in, you know, commercial arts, which seemed, you know, like a reasonable avenue to follow in art. Yeah. But I still was really into sculpture. So I was able to kind of do both of those things simultaneously. Um, and that's really what, you know, ultimately, you know, moved me in the direction of like, even when I was approaching sculpture as a stone carver in a stone shop, when I was an apprentice, the idea was always to get to the point where I was proficient in doing these things. Because even if the art thing didn't work out, which I've been very lucky in. I knew I had like, you know, I was like a pragmatic kid. There was always like plan. What's what's the plan B? Like you know what? And and now my plan B is is like my plan A. I get to work on all these awesome projects, yeah. Um, and do the art stuff. Um, so it you know it kind of worked out that way for me. No, no, thank you, thank you for for sharing that and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still like sitting here somewhat gobsmacked of because I mean, I have other questions that are going to get even more like, so how do you make that? So tell me about um, with with the work that you're doing now, what would you say? Because I find that people it's a quote that I'm thinking of that, that you it's hard to separate regular life from what we do as an art practice. And I'm very much a podcaster. My personality is very much that, right? Um, what does your work reveal about your personality? That's a good question. I don't really know. I mean, what, what, what is, 
when you say I'm very much a podcast, what does that mean? So I, I like as a personality. Uh, yeah, I like getting down to the granularity of it. Like, oh, so tell me more. You know, I like asking people questions. I like doing those interviews, and mm. I I have the podcast voice or the radio voice that, that people will describe. And I'm an audio follow. I'm, I'm an audio nerd, uh, you know, unabashedly. Okay. <laughs> huh? Oh, okay, okay, I got that. All right, no, I, <laughs> I don't have any of that. I do. I have a face made for radio, so we're we're good on that account. Um, but <laughs> I I think what the work I do. You know, okay, so focus. Mm-hmm. Somewhat ironically, because it's not like I'm the most organized person or anything like that. There are many people that work in, the, I think, my field that are incredibly organized. Uh, and I'm not like that generally in most other things. But when it comes to my work, sculpture, stone carving, um, managing those particular kinds of jobs within that field, whether it's historical restoration or new fabrication or something like that, I'm incredibly focused probably to a fault Mm. um meaning i get i tend to get tunnel vision and it's a necessity of life that i work and focus on multiple things and and projects are no exception to that but i would prefer to focus on one single thing at one time that's just not something that life affords me but i i think that I can get very focused on something and specifically driven to get one thing done and one thing done well. And sometimes that's an advantage and sometimes that's an incredible disadvantage or, or a huge inconvenience for other people I live for and or work with. <laughs> yeah. So it depends. Um, but I think that's the thing I, I have the, I guess, I don't know if I call it the ability, but the tendency um, mm-hmm. to get very, um, to, to get very narrow about my point of focus for a particular period of time. Um, so would it, would it be fair to say that that's something that's set in stone? <laughs> Sorry. Well, well, I told you it's going to happen. I told you. I tried to tell you. I tried to warn you. <laughs> that's a good one. No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I hope I, my wife hopes not. Um, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. We're, we're trying. You know, um, because I think that's the thing where people talk about, um, you know, I should back up and and say, I'm very lucky. Like I get a lot of recognition for the work that I do. I mean, you know, you contacted me, that's that kind of thing. Right. But, um, it's, I get a lot more, you know, positive reinforcement about the work that I do in all these ways. But, um, you know, I, it's, it's important, I think also to like, um, acknowledge that, I have like an incredible support system behind me for all these kind of things. In particular, you know, I have two children and a wife who uh, have to basically deal with my occasional, it doesn't happen often, but times when there's like a big project and it's for like a major federal institution, say, and it's like, oh, I've got to have to be in the shop for seven days a week for 10 hours a day or yeah. 14 hours a day or whatever. And so that's, that's hard on everybody else. And it's not very hard on me. I'm very good at that. I'm excellent at working 16 hours a day. I'm really good at it. That's like my thing. Um, but that's, that's not the thing for anybody else in my life. That's very difficult for everybody else for me to just disappear and be in my studio because that's my studio is amazing. Uh, it's easier for me to be there. Um, so it, I think that's that's the thing where I'm good at focusing on it. So that's the thing in my personality is I can hone in on a thing and just focus on that. Um, yeah. And I like to think I can just 
whatever that thing is, the challenge that I've like accepted with a particular project, I can do it, nail it. I got it. But there's, you know, trying to balance that with everything else that's going on is, is really the challenge. And I mean, that's something I try to talk with my own students about. Where it's like, you know, be self-aware. You know, that that's something you're going to have to deal with later in life. Hopefully you have the opportunity to focus on your work right now. Take that opportunity because later you're going to have your, you know, you may not realize it, but your life will get more complicated. You will have more responsibilities if you're lucky. Um, so to kind of to, to, to think now about how to kind of balance those things together. So you, you, you mentioned different projects, right? So you, you, your work from, from what I read and can recommend if I'm wrong here, uh, you're don't, you're, you're, you're working, in transmuting using your using your terms, which I'm going to start using that more, um, you like unexpected textures and forms, like including like mm-hmm. making cushions, bath towels, all types of like things yeah. that don't feel like it's is that right, and it just seems like a high degree of difficulty. So shout out to you on that. I really respect when someone is like going outside of the norm. It's like, hey, this is usually soft. It's hard, um, and really getting into that that detail. It takes a lot of precision and a lot of that that focus you were, you were touching on there. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that kind of taking something that usually has one form, one texture, one like feeling associated with a certain characteristics associated with it and doing it in what feels to be almost a polar opposites material and texture of a feel? Right. Well, I mean, I think there's something to, there's something attractive about doing the unexpected. So it would be more of the expected thing to create hard materials out of a hard material. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be, I think, nearly as um, intellectually stimulating if I create a brick out of a piece of stone. Now, I've done something like that, but the idea was to, to do more to it. But the, the things that really interest me more so are creating textures that visually appear soft yeah. when, in fact, they're extremely hard. And what's funny about it is there's a way to sculpt these things in such a way that when people come in contact with them, because I like people to be able to touch my sculptures. Uh, museums hate this, but <laughs> I like people to be able to touch them. And so when you touch something with your hand that your brain is saying, this is going to be soft, and your hand encounters something hard, it's extra hard. You you like dial up that sensory input because the delta between your expectation and the reality is that much greater and so i think that's interesting about it that's something that appeals to me plus of course it's a challenge because you know i can take a piece of stone and polish it flat and make it look hard obviously anyone you know anyone can do that um you know to make them into very specific or fine forms is another challenge but to make them into something really soft or that appears soft is a challenge because basically you're having to figure out how to do that because nothing you know, a lot of the work I do is is termed hyper-realistic or trompe l'oeil or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I never really think of it that way because it's really just not. If you look at it closely, I'm having to figure out what form I can make in the material I have yeah. based on the crystal structure of the stone that's going to illustrate the visual experience we have with the material that we know, whether it's a towel or a cushion or a pillow or something like that. And so that's the thing that I'm figuring out each time. And that's an interesting part of the challenge is to figure out like what things in this rock represent the textures in this cloth. Mm, okay. And how can I pull that off? Yeah. I mean, when are they getting, when are they giving you a reality show? I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things of like kitchen impossible. It's like, look, stone impossible. I, I feel like it's there. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been contacted by 
producers before about that kind of thing. And I tell them like, it's going to be a real boring ass reality TV show because everything takes so long. It's not like the, you know, these other forged and fire, the things where like, I'm, I don't have like, you know, blast furnaces nothing happens quickly. You know, it takes time. So unless they want to set up a ton of like time-lapse cameras or something like that, um, it's, it's not going to be the most stimulating thing in the world. You really got to grind. Um, and that's like, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not as, well, I shouldn't say it's not exciting. It's exciting to me, but I think from the outside perspective, you know, a lot of the stuff I do, you might look at it from day to day. Well, it looks exactly the same. Like, no, 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 but I spent 10 hours on this one area. I'm like, look at that. Like that, that area is so different now, but, but it's not the kind of thing that really is going to make for great, uh, you know, network television. Well, you know what they do. They, they add these different uh, um, pieces of drama. And it's, it's like, oh, like you never work with anyone. It's like, oh, Sebastian, something bad happened at the shop. You're like, oh. no, it didn't. I, this is what? Well, we might, we, <laughs> the shop I work in is full of characters. Um, and, and that's, <laughs> this is one of the great benefits of being there. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not so sure that would make the <laughs> make the metrics. Uh, True, I get you. So, so talk, talking about the, the the shop studio setup a little bit. Um, now, you know, I, I I understand that there is like you you were saying you might work on a like something that feels like very small in terms of scope in the big scheme of things. Um, could you tell us about like what does the typical day look like? What is like like what is what does your normal day look like when you're like working on a project or what have you um you know like what's that that morning routine look like and you know really what is that the the day of the artist sort of look like that's the thing mm. i'm getting driving at well the day of the artist starts with the day of the parent so the day of the artist is getting up in the morning making sure <clears throat> coffee is made cuz i want to stay married uh then getting both i have two little uh two boys making sure they're up, teeth brushed, bathroom routine, clothes on, and then to school. Uh, I'm very, we're very lucky. Our children go to school uh, at a public uh, charter school here in Baltimore. It's three blocks from our house. So I walk them to school in the morning. I come home. Then I go into the shop. So I don't get into the shop until after I've done that morning routine with them. Um, so it puts me into the shop around 9 o'clock or so. Yeah. Now, if I'm working off-site, that could be different. You know, so next week, for instance, I'm going to be in New York for most of the week. So I'm out. Everything falls on my wife, uh, unfortunately for her. And, and actually, the previous week, I was working in D.C. most of that week. So same. I was skipping out on the morning routine. And I was um, basically getting in the shop early to drive down to D.C. to work on something. So that can be a morning. But basically, when I get into the shop, depends on really what's there. It's like, what's on the easel? What's on the table? What do I have going on? And trying to balance basically the deadlines I have with the various projects that are in progress. I try to not take on too many things. And honestly, right now I am just like, just barely getting caught up from the kind of ridiculous COVID world that happened with everything. I don't know how that affected your workflow, but for me, because I work for myself, when COVID mm -hmm. started and school shut down, I didn't go into the shop for basically three months. When oh, wow. Suddenly children were home and, you know, and I was very lucky. I had a lot of projects going on and I had clients that were very understanding. And I said, Hey, sorry. So I was there. My wife works full time and she's in communications, digital communications. Yeah. And so basically she became an emergency worker for her center where she works. Um, and 
I was just basically everything paused. Yeah. And so things built up during that time. And there were some other longer projects. My projects tend to, to take place in the course of like years rather than even weeks or months in terms of their deadlines or their arc. So I'm now when I get in the shop, it's like, okay, what are the things that have the most current deadline? What's in most in need of attention? And, um, you know, where, where basically can I put my, what can I put my hands on when? And do I, or and do I have emails I need to get back to and that kind of stuff. And I try not to do a lot of that from the shop because I can physically do that from home. Um, but you know, it's hard because it, in the evening is of course chaos until the children go to bed. So, um, yeah, that's like the, the day kind of is that way. Yeah. And then when I leave the shop, it kind of depends again on if, and, or when, if I'm picking up, you know, kid number one or kid number two and you know getting home to get everyone there um to do dinner bedtime routine get them to bed and then that's when like you know third shift starts like, <laughs> they go to say, it's like all right what what emails do i absolutely need to get back to today um or do i need to post something on instagram because i haven't done it in a week and that kind of thing for, for the algorithm yeah 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 <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I haven't posted a reel in a couple of days. Like, all right, whatever. Oh, man, I, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's an incredibly awesome tool and way to connect with people, but it's such an incredible time suck, uh, and I'm not great at it. So, yeah, I, if, I, if I start to lag on it, I tend to ignore it and just walk away, which is not great for the algorithm, I guess. Yeah, and, and I think like a lot of times, like I'm a one man show for the most part, and. Um, you know, I have, I have a producer or have an editor or what have you that kind of cleans up my stuff, you know, that it can free me up to be able to do like, you know, six to eight interviews in a, in a day. This is an aberration. Right. But, um, I, I would say like just something as simple, like for me, like responding to emails or even following up because I'm reaching out, trying to like book guests and things of that nature and doing mm -hmm. research and all of that. And, um, and, and I found like recently, I think some of the things that come out of this podcast, like generally there's a few emails exchanged, there's a few DMs exchanged, but there's not much that you knew about me coming into this interview. And, you know, I researched you. I felt like I was stalking you for months online, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I listened to some podcasts, you know, and that's the, you know, that's, I mean, that's, I felt like the best way to know more about what you were doing is to like, you know, basically see your art. Oh, um, yeah. which is which is cool because in that's the thing like that that should be my second gig is like podcast like i don't know reviewer because i work <laughs> on a good day i'm in headphones and like you know basically safety earplugs and a headset because my work is very loud yeah so i'm listening to like music the radio or podcasts all day, every day on a good, if I'm lucky, if I'm not lucky that I'm sitting at my desk dealing with stuff or like putting out <laughs> fires or fixing things and having to talk to people. Um, yeah. but like this here, this is like the most words I've said on a work related thing in a long time. I, I again, on a good day, I might maybe say a hundred words and that's great. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's um, yeah. me in probably a minute. Just me just yapping through words. And, you know, I, I want to be, cause usually like I'm in, in the, if I'm working like a, this is a remote day for me, right. From the mm -hmm. day job and I'm, I'm here and before I'm recording, like I've talked a lot today, but if I wasn't recording anything, it's just a regular at home day. I might grunt. That that's 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 the noise that's coming out of me. It's not many words, <laughs> right? Um, you know, I, I probably will yell at my cat. That's probably a thing that I do. Like, ah. mm. you know, I just like well, look at him judgingly. Well, he's looking at you judgingly because well, he's that's a cat. What cats do. So, yeah, cats are dicks. He or she is a cat. So yeah, yeah. They're basically their move. 
So this is the last real question I have before I get to those rapid fire questions. Um, okay. uh, so you could do both or you could do whichever one you, you choose, but what would you say as an, as an artist in your career, um, would you say it's a, a triumph or a challenge or a failure, if you will, that's like come to mind or what have you? I know some people will say, mm-hmm. oh, it's no failures. There's happy accidents and so on. That's, that's Bob Ross. But, mm-hmm. you know, in either that extreme, the, the, the continuum of super successful, super like, damn, this sucked. What did you learn from either one of them? Well, I think that in terms of failures that I've had, I, I know that there's there's like a circuit of various fine art awards and grants and things that I apply for kind of every year. You yeah. know, generally, I think in the last couple of years, I actually dropped off only because uh, my workflow in terms of my own fine art really slowed for the last couple of years because of COVID and our time suddenly shrinking. Yeah. Um, I've been only maybe the last two and a half years really focused on getting my commission work done. And so I haven't been able to do as much of my own fine art as I would like. So it makes some of those things, uh, applying for some of those things a little bit more difficult. But, you know, I like for every year, I'll always apply for, say, the Sondheim Award that's here in Baltimore. I've been a semifinalist, I don't know, half a dozen times more. I've never been a finalist or one, obviously, but I'll keep doing it until I do. Um, But in terms of, you know, getting my own work done, like I think you know, in the, in the realm of like successes, I've been able to work on some projects for some public and private institutions and that I never would have imagined that they, people would even let me touch these places, (laughs) let alone literally cut into them with a chisel and a hammer. And so that's, to be honest, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Um, so I've been very lucky in, in that regard. And I've been able to work with some people that, you know how it is, it's like, you watch a, the, the, the people that trained me were at the absolute top of their game. And yeah. then during my time as an apprentice, I you know, would see these movies and documentaries about, you know, companies like the John Stephen shop in Newport that goes back, you know, 300 years. And then a few years ago to, to be asked to work with these guys on a federal memorial in DC. Yeah. That's like, that's a success in my book to have that opportunity to work with these people, to meet them, to spend every day for months being part of that team. That's yeah. a, I mean, that's a, a, a you know, from, from my book, an incredible success. So I think that's kind of the, the different ends of the spectrum. There's things I'll always continue to apply to and try to get more work done. And then, um, you know, but at the same point, trying to, to keep in mind, it's like, yeah, you've done some, you've gotten to do some really cool stuff um, to, 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 to have things that are in these big public buildings that'll be there, you know, ostensibly forever until or until something terribly horrible goes wrong um but barring the zombie apocalypse like yeah that's the thing for forever um so to get to work on that kind of stuff really you know like i said i I get i think more i i know i'm very lucky to get more just um, recognition and joy out of the work that i physically create than the average bear. So I'm very lucky in that regard. So that's, that's like a success, I think. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. So that is uh, pretty much the end of the real questions. Now it's time to get weird. Oh, uh, so rapid fire questions. You know how these work. Uh, you've listened to enough of the episodes to know how these work. Uh, I might ask you about movies. I might ask you about peanut butter. I don't know. Oh uh, man. Ask me about peanut butter. I'm on board. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so let's let's start off with this one. Um, invisibility or super speed? Which one do you want? Mm, invisibility. Okay. Uh, when do you know a project is done? And I, I would imagine sculpture is a lot different <sighs> from painting. I know that painters are like, I'm never quite done, you know, and it's like, I'm just kind of stop. When do you know, like your work, let's say, you know, commission work is a little different, but your own projects, let's say, you know, when a work, when a piece of work is done. Like I said, I'm an illustrator. So when the deadline is up, that's when it's done. Cause it better be. <laughs> and if it's not, I won't get more work. <laughs> I dig it, I dig it. So, so, so that's the answer to that, that question right there. When Sorry. the deadline says it's done. <laughs> it's like, uh, on the paper, oh, then the email says it's done. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. Sometimes that has to be the answer. It's done when, when the deadline is done. We, However, we, it has to get there. We make work within the time that's permitted. Yep. That's, that's the thing. Um, what's your favorite drink? Mm, well, I'm sitting right next to a gin and tonic right now, but I'm awful partial to bourbon. So it's kind of easy. Yeah, I dig it. Mm-hmm. Japanese whiskey for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Man, uh-huh. all the, I got, well, I, I don't know. This is a very rapid fire, but again, one of my awesome opportunities was to do the rare craft tour with the Balvenie a few years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with them. <laughs> if you like, if you like good whiskey, oh, if you gosh. like scotch, you probably are. Yeah, your face says, you yeah, know yeah. what I'm talking about. And I learned so much about, both obviously scotch from scotland and japanese whiskey and the history of like the like the basically the people that went back and forth between those countries and influenced each other to like create what is now this ridiculous like craft whiskey tradition in japan it's it's wild Um, anyway totally off topic here but that that's really cool I've I've been doing this, and I, I learned it's a thing. Um, I've really gotten to vermouth recently, and oh. uh, so so big shout out to the wine collective. And uh-huh. um, I've been doing this uh, vermouth spritzer, and I was like, look, this is delicious. And uh, I think they're I think that you can do a Negroni with coffee as well. So I'm combining just these things I like because I, I like the huh. sweet vermouth. So mm-hmm. those together. It's just like oh, I'm just continuing this whole alcohol tour I'm doing. So it's great. It's good times. Oh wow. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Um, crunchy or creamy? Mm, creamy. Huh. But I respect crunchy. Okay. I mean, obviously, I'm a stone carver. I, I was waiting for that connection. I was waiting for that connection. <laughs> so, so this is the last one, and this kind of relates to one of the things we touched on earlier. Well, I think before we even got started with the actual interview, um, do you speak any other languages? And if so, can you can you answer in said language? It's like, si ma namoto bene, perché non ho l'opportunità per parlare l'italiano adesso. E dispiace. I feel like it was a couple curse words in there, but thank you. <laughs> no, no, no curse words. No curse words. Um, yeah, I can I can speak Italian very poorly. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. <laughs> We're polyglot. You're 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 poor polyglot. How's, how's that work? <laughs> Provo. Yeah. So that's pretty much it for the podcast. So I want to thank you for for being on this podcast, and two, I want to invite and encourage you to share anything you feel like we missed in this in this interview, and um, tell the fine folks where to check you out, your work, social media, all of that good stuff. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, no, I think I think you covered it really well um people can find me on you know generally the socials i'm obviously most active on instagram that's just sebastian martirana which 
I always say it's just special margarana, but I know it's super it's the longest name in the world. So uh, I'm yeah, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram at you know Sebastian Margarana, which is S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N-M-A-R-T-O-R-A-N-A. But my website, much simpler, is just SebastianWorks.com. Uh so that, that pretty pretty well covers that. Um but yeah, I think that's that's easy, the easiest way to find me or contact me is either through their Instagram, which I think how we first got in touch. And then, of course, the website. You can always email me through there. That's pretty, uh, pretty standard. So there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Sebastian Martirana for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying there's art and big friggin' sculptures in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for them.